Hi, this is Sarit Switzer, and welcome to the It Is Taught podcast, a podcast devoted to the teachings of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi, as recorded in his most famous work, the Tanya. My hope for this show is to make these teachings accessible and relatable to the average person, regardless of prior Jewish education or affiliation. The episodes follow the prescribed daily study portions and are meant to serve as practical lessons in how to live your life as your true self and develop an authentic and powerful relationship with your Creator. I have personally experienced the effects the study of this work has had on me, and I'm excited to share what I can of this knowledge with you. So please join me on this journey of learning, self-growth, and connection with your source. Welcome to the It Is Top podcast. This is a special bonus series entitled, Why Is the Whole World Against Us? The purpose of this series is to offer a deeper spiritual insight into the current war that Israel is raging against Hamas in Gaza, as well as the geopolitical war Jews all around the world are raging in defense of our right to the land of Israel as our homeland and against worldwide anti-Semitism, which has risen exponentially in the aftermath of the October 7th massacre. The teachings I'll be relating are based on a sicha by, given by the Lubavitcher Rebbe in the year Tavshin Chavvav, or in the Hebrew year of 5726, or the English year of 1965. And the sicha is on Parshas Bereshis, based on the first Rashi and Parshas Bereshis. I studied and recorded this material in the merit of a swift victory of the IDF and the protection of all of our fellow soldiers and all Jewish lives within the land of Israel and throughout the world, as well as for the speedy return of all of the remaining hostages in Gaza. So if you've made it this far in this lecture series, first of all, congratulations, because I know that it is quite an intricate one and kind of long. But the good news is, Today, we're actually going to be getting to the last set of answers to our questions. So if you've been following along so far, you know that we've been addressing a bunch of different questions that the Rebbe brought up in regards to the first Rashi of the Torah, the Rashi on the very beginning of the Torah about uh, the idea of Breshi, so the, the creation, the retelling of the creation of the world in which Rashi asks the question, poses the question, why did the Torah begin this way with the creation of the world instead of beginning with the blessing of the new month, which was the first commandment given to the Jewish people? Uh, So Rashi asks this question, and then he gives the answer to the question, and he says that this is in order to give us Jews an answer to the nations of the world if they ever come to us and accuse us of robbery for conquering the land of Israel. So throughout this lecture series, we've been really dissecting this Rashi with uh, by being guided by a, the Asicha of the Rebbe on this very topic. And as we've mentioned several times, uh, what the Rebbe does is he actually breaks apart this Rashi into four distinct sections, and he asks questions on each one of these sections. And then we've been going through the answers to these different questions. So the four distinct sections of the Rashi, once again, is we have Rashi's question, and then we have Rashi's answer. And then within Rashi's answer are contained the accusation of the nations and the answer that we're supposed to give to the nations that Rashi says that we should give to the nations. So once again, we had questions on all of these things and we addressed each section 
in its own right in terms of the questions. And then we've been going through these sections in terms of the answers. So, so far what we did is we spoke about the questions that the Rebbe had on Rashi's question. And then we gave the Rebbe's answers to this, these questions on Rashi's question. We've also spoken about the accusation of the nations and we brought up the different questions that the Rebbe had about this accusation of the nations. What are they exactly accusing us of? Is it, how, how could land conquest be robbery? Didn't they steal it from us? And things like that. And then we gave the Rebbe's answers to these questions. We also spoke about the, our answer that we should give to the nations according to Rashi. And we had, a, the Rebbe had a, a bunch of questions about that, that we spoke about in la, the last episode, the different questions that the Rebbe had about our answer to the nations and and how is this really a good answer to give to them? And uh, and then we addressed that in, um, in the last episode. We really went through it in more detail and we came to a deeper appreciation and a deeper understanding of what's really going on so through that, those last two sections, through the, through understanding deep on a deeper level what the accusation of the nations are, as well as our answer to the nations, we came to a deeper appreciation of our connection essentially to the land of Israel. Namely, we came to see that the accusation of the nations is not really so much about us just conquering the land of Israel the way that any other nation would conquer any other land, but it's by virtue of the fact that our conquering of the land of Israel was a unique type of conquering in the sense that we as the Jewish people essentially changed the land in an essential way such that it can never again be conquered or be owned by anybody else and it will eternally be a Jewish land. And then in the last episode, we spoke about how this is not actually a type of ceiling, even though it might sound at first glance that it's like we're kind of breaking the rules and we're, we're doing something different than other nations. We're not conquering in, a diff- in, in the same way that other nations conquer land. We're, we're, we're like really transforming it, um, which isn't a usual thing that most people do when they conquer lands is that they transform the land essentially. But in in the last episode, we spoke about how this isn't actually stealing, because in fact, this was God's intention all along, and that we came to appreciate that this is the connection to the creation of the world, is that upon creating the world, uh, at the moment that God created the world, at that very time, God had it in his mind that the land of Israel belongs to the Jewish people. And this was the intention all along. And yes, it went through a bunch of different ownership in the meantime, but the whole purpose and even the fact that it went through different owners throughout the ages, different nations had it, we went into exile, all of this was part of the purpose. And the ultimate purpose was for us to ultimately have our land back, which was God's intention all along. Today, we're going to address the final set of questions, namely questions on Rashi's answer to his own question. So I know it's a bit of a tongue twister there, but basically, while yes, we've addressed Rashi's answer and kind of its details in terms of Rashi's answer contains the accusation of the nations and it contains uh, our response to the nations, but Today, we're going to look at it in a more general sense in terms of the the answer, Rashi's answer in a general way. How is this an answer to his own question? How does talking about how we should answer the nations if they accuse us of robbery, how, is the, how does this give us the answer as to why the Torah begins with the creation of the world? So uh, what's the connection here? And so to be more specific, 
We're going to get a little bit more detailed here. So we're going to, first of all, review Rashi's answer in its entirety in terms of his, his answer to his question. Uh, and then we're going to review the questions that the, that the Rebbe had on this answer. And then we're going to get into a deeper explanation of the whole thing. So again, so Rashi's answer to his own question, which again, his question was about why does the Torah begin with the story of creation? So Rashi's answer was that the reason the Torah begins with the story of creation is to teach Jews how to reply to the accusation of the nations. And then he goes on to tell us how to reply to them, which we've already gone into a lot of detail about, right? Okay, now what were the Rebbe's questions on this answer, on Rashi's answer to his own question. So we had three basic questions that came up. The first question was that uh, if we're saying that that uh, the story of creation is there, the reason why it's there is to give us what to answer to the nations of the world, does this mean that all of the stories of, that are found in the Torah are just there to give us answers to the nations of the world? Because as we've spoken about in previous episodes, we spoke about this idea that uh, that Torah comes from the root of hara'a, comes from the root of lesson, um, which means like specifically lessons for Jews, which is why the, really the main point and, the, and why Rashi's question was really so relevant was that the whole point of the Torah was that it, it was to give guidance to the Jews as a Jewish nation and how to live. So it re- the focus really should be, it would seem, on the Jewish mitzvahs on the Jewish commandments, which began when we became a nation, we received that commandment of the blessing of the new month. So if that's the case, why do we have the story of creation? That was Rashi's question, right? Because even though, yes, creation is a very fundamental, knowing that God created the world is a very fundamental thing that uh, it's really important to know about. It's not, it's difficult to say that this is inherently a lesson specifically for Jews, because the, the Torah is really meant to be a Jewish book for the Jewish nation. And so then Rashi explained that, yes, everything in Torah is meant to be a lesson for Jews. So that means thus that the story of creation is also a lesson for Jews as Jews as a Jewish nation. And that lesson there, the the lesson of the day of of the story of creation is to is to teach us Jews how to answer the nations of the world. So the so the Rebbe's an, a question here on this is that if that's the case, does that mean that all of the stories that are found in the Torah are also just there to be answers? to the nations? Like, are they all there to teach us how to answer the nations of the world? Is that what what Rashi is implying? That's question number one. The next question that the Rebbe brought up is, what about, aside from the stories that are found in the Torah, what about the mitzvahs, the commandments that are brought up in the Torah that precede the blessing of the new month? So we've spoken about this idea that uh, that the blessing of the new month, yes, it was the first commandments that was given to the Jews as Jews, post-Matan Torah, post the giving of the Torah on Mount Sinai, but yet we do find that there are several mitzvahs that are written in the Torah that were obviously given and are outlined explicitly in the Torah before Mount Sinai, before before we became a Jewish nation. So what about those? So if we say that, okay, all the stories in the Torah are there to teach us like a lesson, like they're kind of like these moral lessons, like... Um, you know, like uh, like we find fables are there to teach us a lesson. Not that the stories in the Torah are fables, but you know, it's all about like just we learn a moral from it or something like that. Is what about the mitzvahs? What about the actual the parts of the Torah that precede the giving of the Torah that don't actually involve stories, but it's just about the commandments that were given. Like we see, for example, um, Adam and Chava were given the commandment of being fruitful and multiply. 
we see that Avraham was giving the commandment of a bris, of a circumcision. And then we see that Yaakov, uh, which we just read about in the Parsha actually today, uh, as I'm recording this podcast today, as we learned about the Gita Hanasha, the prohibition against uh, eating the sciatic nerve of an animal. And then the last question, which is sort of related to these two previous questions, is that if we're saying that, um, you know, the story we, we outlined and now we're satisfied, hopefully, with the idea of why we needed to have the story of Barashis, because it was there to teach us how to answer the nations of the world when they accuse us of robbery. What about everything between Barashis? And the blessing of the new month, right? So whether we're talking about stories, whether we're talking about mitzvahs, commandments, uh, why the need for anything in between? Why not just like, okay, we learned the lesson of how we need to answer the nations. Great. Now we can move on to the next lesson, which seemingly should be uh, the blessing of the new month. So what's the deal with that? So let's get into it. So to get into the crux of the answer for this, we're actually going to explore a little bit deeper something which we spoke about in uh, the previous episode, namely this idea of God's will and how we find that in Rashi's um, answer to the nations, he uses this term will, meaning God's desire, in a very intentional way that at first glance could might leave us feeling a little bit confused, where at the Hebrew it says, and then it says, that with his will, with God's will, he gave it to the nations of the world. And with his will, he took it from the nations of the world and he gave it to us. So upon like kind of like just reading this kind of superficially, what it might sound like to somebody is that God desired, and again, when we say desire, it's very intentional. It's not just like divine providence, like everything is divine providence. There's a really intentional desire desire and will there. So reading this, it might sound like God actually really wanted to give the land of Israel to the non-Jewish nations. This is something he he wanted them to have it. And then for whatever reason, he chose his mind and then he took it from them and gave it to us, which sounds kind of strange because it's like, you know, like, okay, so <laughs> then what gives us more of a right over the lands than the non-Jewish nations? Like, just because God chose his mind, so to speak, like, it sounds like they also were under the auspices of God's will in terms of their ownership of the land. But no, what we explained in the previous episode is that, in fact, this word will, this word desire, ratzon, that we were talking about, is actually indicating the exact opposite. What it's talking about is it's talking about God's inner will, God's inner um, desire, which actually comes up earlier in Rashi, where it talks about the idea that when God first created th- the world, right at the moment of cre- of the creation, it says, that God created the world. And right at that moment of creation, he gave it to whom he deemed proper in his eyes. And we explained at length how that really means the Jewish people. And what this means is that this is the starting point. This is the all-encompassing point, that God's true desire, God's true will, is that the land of Israel belonged to the Jews. This was his intention from the start of creation, and it was intention all along, which means that any will, anytime that word will comes up later on in the answer, this is merely just like... uh, reminding us of his original will, which means that when we actually know we can read it a little bit differently, that when we say with his will, he gave it to them, gave it to the non-Jewish nations, it's not saying that God, God forbid, really wanted the non-Jewish nations to have the land of Israel in a real way. What it's saying is that God giving the land of Israel to these non-Jewish nations, it was stemming from his inner will, which is what's his inner will. His inner will is that we should have it, that the Jews should have it, that it will ultimately be ours, which means that in order to 
get to that point that we will ultimately have it in a very physical way and not just in an intentional and thought kind of way, it has to pass through the ownership of the non-Jewish nations for some reason or another. Meaning that it's God's inner intention, inner desire that's the driving force behind all of the events that the land of Israel goes through in the process. It's all being motivated by this, this singular will. A way to kind of understand this on a very kind of superficial human level is let's say if you have a strong will to go visit your family, like let's say, you know, like I have, I have family that's in New Jersey. So let's say I want to go visit my family in New Jersey. So in order to get to my family, I have to take a bus. I have to take a bus at Port Authority bus station. So that means I really want to get to Port Authority bus station. So let's say, you know, I'm uh, rushing uh, in the subway and there are a lot of people around me and I'm trying to say like, hey guys, I'm rushing. I, I really need to get ahead. I, I really want to get to Port Authority bus station. Somebody seeing that might think like, wow, this girl must really love this bus station. She must love Port Authority bus station. She wants to hang out there all day. When in fact, no, it's why do I want to get to Port Authority? It's because I want to get to my family. And in order to get to my family, I have to get through that bus station. That's an essential place that I need to get to, to to get there along the way. So my will is not to hang out in the bus station all day. My will is to get to my family. And so in order to get to my family, that's the driving force behind my will to get to Port Authority, if that makes sense. So now getting back to the subject at hand, which was our first question that that we had, that the Rebbe had on Rashi's answer, which was that if we say this about... Um, about the about the beginning of the Torah, we say this about the creation of the world. Now we know the lesson for the creation of the for the Torah, including the creation of the world. What about the rest of the stories in the Torah? What are they there for? So the Rebbe says, what those other stories are there for is to teach us how all of this, everything that happened to us up until the receiving of the Torah, was all part of the process. It was all part of God's will. These were all landmarks along the way to get us to the ultimate purpose, our ultimate purpose, which is to have uh, the land of Israel. And not only the land of Israel, but in fact, the Torah, the Torah, the Jewish people, the land of Israel, they're all connected as we're really learning from the Sicha. And we can see this actually hinted at in the very first word of the Torah. This is a very famous teaching on the very first two words, actually, of the Torah, where it says, Breshit bara, that um, in the beginning, the simple explanation is in the beginning, God created. But a deeper explanation of this is that in fact, the whole reason why the world was created was for the Torah. How do we see this? Because the Torah is called Reshit. The Torah is called the first. So it's so Bereshit, with, with the first, it was created, meaning that the whole world was created for the Torah. Israel, also the, the nation of Israel are also called Reshit were also called the first. So meaning that the entire world was actually created for us and was created for the Torah. Nevertheless, yes, we do see that there are many stories in the Torah that don't talk about the Jewish nation, that don't talk about Israel. Uh, so why are they in there? They're all in there to show us that it's all a process. All of these things, all of these happenings, even if they don't apparently seem like that, they're all leading up to the that primary all-encompassing purpose, which is Torah, which is 
the land of Israel, which is the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, and everything. Rashi actually hints at this idea too, and in, in, in later on in Parshas Vayeshev, which is found in Bereshit chapter thirty-seven, verse one, where Rashi talks about all of these generations that preceded the giving of the Torah. Um, he likens them to sands that needed to be sifted through in order to get to a pearl that somebody is seeking. So, uh, so you know, just like let's say there's a pearl that's in, that's stuck in sand, you have to get through a lot of the sand in order to get to the pearl. That's what these different generations. That's what these different stories in the Torah are there to teach us is in order to uh, this is what we need to, to show us that this is what we needed to go through in order to get to the ultimate purpose. So while this is true in terms of everything, the ultimate purpose being for Torah and being for the Jewish nation, this is also true in terms of the ownership over the land of Israel, over our the ultimate purpose of the land of Israel uh, being for us to us as Jews to have ownership for it, that um, that in the, the beginning of creation, as we mentioned, it was God's intention that to give it to us. He gave it to whom he deems proper in thought. And then we see that, in fact, uh, in actuality, when Noah divided up the lands he, of the world, he gave the portion of the land of Israel to Shem, to his son Shem and to his descendants, which we are amongst Shem's descendants, the Jewish nation. Uh, but yet then we see that the Canaanites then conquered the land from the descendants of Shem, but nevertheless, at that time, then God reassured Abraham that this conquest did not nullify the fact that he gave this land to the progeny of Shem, but rather he said, and this is found in Rashi for Parshas Lech Lecha in Breshis chapter 12, verse 6, where it says, that I will give this land to your seed, to your progeny. So not to worry. Yes, it looks like right now, you know, Knan, the Canaanites have your land, it, it will be yours. I haven't forgotten my original intent is what God is saying. Okay, so that's our answer. It's basically the reason why all these other stories are there uh, is really to show us that it's a process and that everything that happens, really we can say everything in our lives, we can kind of extend it to that, are really ultimately for the ultimate purpose of all of creation, uh, which is for the Torah, which is for the Jews, which is for us uh, as Jews having and owning that land of Israel. But there might be a question begging in your mind, or at least in the Rebbe's mind, he brought this up, uh, is he said, okay, fine, but why does it have to be so long? Why is this intermediate stage so long? Like it's like, you know, you go you go for a meal. You have a lot of appetizers, right? Like, when when are we going to get to the main course? What's why why is the the first course so long? What's that all about? So to answer this, the Rebbe says we actually have to look at um, at the covenant that Hashem made with Avraham, known as the Brit Ben Haptarim, or the covenant of the parts where God promised the land of Israel to Abraham. This was like a very central covenant where God made that promise. He made that vow that the land of Israel will be ours. However, in that covenant, what we find is that what what does Hashem say to Abraham? He says that the Jews will only get the land of Israel after Abraham's seed will be strangers in a land that is not their own and that this nation will enslave and subjugate them for 400 years. This is from Bereshis, uh chapter 50 and verse 13, where to read the Hebrew here, it says, Vayomer l'Avraham, so God said to Avraham, Yadoa teda ki geri yezerecha be'eretz lo lahem, v'avadum v'yenu otam arba shana. That you should know that your, uh, your seed, your progeny will be strangers in a land that is not their own, 
and they who, that will enslave them and oppress them for 400 years. So this was intri- intri- intrinsic to the promise of receiving the land of Israel was also this idea of that we're going to be enslaved and that we're going to go into exile. This this is part and parcel of the package deal that we got from God. And then we see a reminder of this when we're actually enslaved in Egypt and we see that God God reminds us of this ultimate purpose uh, when we get to later on in the Torah in Shemot chapter 3 verse 8 which is actually in Parsha Shemot, the first Parsha of the book of Shemot, uh, where God describes how he's going to come down. He says, I'm going to go down and save them from Egypt in order to raise them up to this land, the land that is good. land flowing with milk and honey. To the land, uh, to the place of the Canaanites, the Chittites, the Amorites, the Prezites, the Chivites, and the Jesuits, meaning to the land of Israel. So God, again, in Parshat Shemot, you know, while we're stuck in our exile, he gives us the, this reminder, the purpose of the exile is is there in order for God to actually redeem us out from there and take us to the land of Israel. So again, why did it have to be so long? Uh, we're going to we're gonna talk about that soon. But before we get to that part, um, the Rebbe is actually going to address another part that's related, as we'll see, which is that we still haven't really addressed Rashi's essential question, which is about the order of events in the Torah. So fine, maybe we understand that uh, the story of creation needs to be in there. Maybe we are even convinced now that there need to be other stories in there to to describe to us how all of these things are a process uh, and the whole point of them all is for that ultimate purpose. But yet, if the Torah is really, as we've mentioned, primarily supposed to be, or not only primarily, it is essentially and only is a, a book of of lessons for Jews, Hora'a, it comes from that word Hora'a, it's meant to be a, a book of lessons for Jews as Jews, then you would think, again, you would think that it would start with our commandments, like here's your laws for you as Jews, and then, oh yeah, by the way, here's like a bunch of other stuff that also might be pertinent to you in terms of learning lessons and morals and stuff like that. But let's start with the essentials. The essentials would be, these are your official commandments. Like that, wouldn't that make more logical sense? So um, so why, again, we're still kind of left with that initial question of Rashi. Why start with Rashi's of all things? Why start with this like kind of roundabout lessons seemingly that it sounds like? And so the Rebbe says that this itself, the order, nothing is by accident. Everything in the Torah is extremely precise. So the order of the Torah itself is actually teaching us a lesson. And what's the lesson? Is the lesson is actually to teach us how to learn Torah. So in order to understand what we mean by this, so we need to kind of uh, take a step backwards for a second and think about the Rebbe talks about this, is he says, what's the whole purpose of learning Torah? Why do we have to learn Torah? Yes, it's a commandment in the Torah to learn Torah, but really, what is learning Torah supposed to accomplish? So the Rebbe says that the purpose of learning Torah for a Jew is that in order for us to learn how we are higher than the world, how we are not actually connected to the world, not actually connected to the other nations. So I want to give my own little caveat here, my own interjection. This isn't spoken about specifically in the Sikha, but I think it is important to mention here, uh, especially if there might be, I don't know who's listening to this podcast, perhaps there are non-Jewish people listening to this podcast. And I don't want to give the wrong idea. Like a, a lot of, there's a sort of a misconception that when we say that the Jews are the chosen people, what we're saying is that we're better than everybody else in some way. Like uh, we get extra 
gold stars or something like that or extra prizes. And in fact, that's not actually what it means. This is a whole, it's actually a very deep discussion and could probably have its own podcast episode, podcast episode series in its own right. Like, what do we mean by that? What do we say when we mean that the Jews are higher than the world or Jews transcend the world. So what we actually mean is we're not actually saying anything negative about non-Jews or about the world, because in fact, the world was created by God. All Everybody in the world are God's children, are God's people. So it's not God forbid to say that there's anything wrong with anybody or that they're lacking in any way. We don't, we actually, as Jews, we don't seek converts. We discourage people from converting to Judaism because we don't believe that in order to be a good, holy, godly person, you have to be Jewish at all. In fact, it's written about in the Gemara that uh, that a non-Jew who keeps the seven laws of Noah, which is you know the basic laws given to all of mankind, is actually considered to be on the same level as the Kohen Gadol, as a, as a high priest in Judaism. So it's a very high level. And the levels of spiritual heights that can be attained by non-Jews is very high. There's so much spirituality. There's so much godliness that can be tapped into. Uh, there's so much morality. There's so much refinement that can be done and accessed through just being a good person, through just you know having a basic awareness of God, um, being in the world. Like you don't actually have to keep Torah in order to be a good person. That's also another misconception. When we keep kosher, it's not because we think that there's some kind of better thing about kosher food that it's healthier or cleaner in any kind of way. Not at all. You can be an extremely refined person, an extremely good person without actually being Jewish, without keeping the Jewish laws. So what does it mean to be Jewish? And what do we mean by the idea that we transcend reality? What we mean by that is that whereas all the other nations of the world have the ability to tap into the inherent spirituality of the world and to tap into God and and godliness and all of that, as Jews, we have this kind of added um, thing, this added purpose where we can actually alter the reality, like where we can actually like kind of co-create reality together with God and change nature. We're not bound to the laws of nature in the same way. We actually are, can actually uh, affect the course by which um, the fate of the world happens, if we want to say it that way. So uh, one really prime example of this, which is actually the example that the Rebbe gives here, and that's actually come up in the Sicha, if you've been you know, paying attention, uh, is the blessing of the new month. The blessing of the new month, it's interesting and it's not random. This is spoken about in Chassidus and other places, that it's not random that the first commandment that was given to the Jewish nation as Jews is the blessing of the, the, the month. Why? Because the blessing of the month, how does that work? Is that uh, back in the day, the way that this used to be done is that in order to designate a new month, which really was actually pretty important because it was it would it gave us uh, the information that we needed to know about when different holidays would start and all other kinds of demarcations, is it would all go based on the moon. So, you know, some cultures like the more Western cultures go by the solar year. Um, Some cultures are really, my understanding is like the Islamic calendar is really based around the lunar year. We actually take both into account. But speaking about the lunar year now for a second. So... 
the way that it would work is, you know, we'd we'd wait back in the day. We'd we'd have there'd be certain uh, witnesses who would see the new moon, and then they would announce it, and that would call in that now this means that it's going to be a new month. Nowadays, we all have calendars. We don't have to go through this whole procedure anymore. Um, but the thing about this mitzvah that's really interesting, the thing about this blessing, is that it's not. There's again, there's this misperception, kind of from a superficial understanding of it, that what they were doing is that they were passive observers of when the month was starting, that they saw the, when, when the witnesses would see the moon, they would say, oh, okay, I see that now it's the, the month is upon us. And, and then they would say that, you know, now we accept that it's the new month. But in fact, this isn't what was happening. What was happening is that the month itself actually only became a new month through the declaration by these witnesses that it was a new month, meaning to say that in a certain way, we were actually given the the power to establish time, to actually declare that now it's a new month. And that by us declaring that now it's a new month, only then does it become a new month. So meaning as Jews, we have this ability to actually affect creation in this way that we actually alter creation. We actually can change nature. So that's how we actually transcend nature. So that's, that's my little note on this. Um, so now getting back to the Rebbe, so the Rebbe here actually says this in a more condensed format, is he says that, again, so getting back to what we're talking about, that the whole purpose of learning Torah is for us Jews to learn how we are higher than the world. Um, and, uh, and the prime example of this is this first commandment that we were given as the nation of Israel, which was the blessing of the new month. However, in order, continues the rabbi, in order to get to this level of having this understanding of how we are higher than the rest of the world, uh, we need to first pass through our animal soul, which those of you who follow my Tanya podcast know about this idea of the animal soul, that every Jew has what is called an animal soul, and we also have a godly soul. And, uh, and the animal soul can be thought of as the part of us that actually is like everybody else. It is like the non-Jewish nations. It's not an evil thing. It's not a horrible, nasty thing. Like an animals, a lot of animals are very kind. It just means that it's acting more in line with like nature. It's, it's more natural. Sometimes it's called the natural soul. So in order to access our godly soul, we actually first have to get through our animal soul because the animal soul is very loud. It's very rowdy. It kind of is, it's kind of starts off as dominant in a certain sense. So we have to to refine it. We have to get through it. And so all of the sections preceding the blessing of the new month in the Torah serve as an example of this. They're, they're sort of there. It's like a textual uh, representation of our own internal process as people. There's this idea in Torah that man is a, a small world. The world is a big man, that we are microcosms of, of the macrocosmic universe. Like there's this is a very deep idea. There are so many different levels of this. We see, you know, ever on a cellular level and a molecular level, however you want to look at it. Um, but in a very basic sense, when we're learning the Torah and we're learning about the stories in the Torah, this is sort of like an illustrative uh, example of this process. This is just like in order to get to the land of Israel, we need we needed to pass through all these other generations um, that are not the land of Israel to sift through them and refine the process. This is the process whereby we access our own personal godly soul is through processing our animal soul through uh, through refining our animal soul.
So, yeah, so that's kind of the end of our section today of what we're going to focus on. And we're going to now go back to those questions that we started off today's episode with, the questions which the Rebbe posed to Rashi's answer to his own question, uh, if you follow that <laughs> again. Um, so, and we're going to sum it up and, and give the answers that we came up with based on everything we've been discussing. So as we kind of mentioned in the beginning of the episode, uh, all three of the questions w- which we brought up are all kind of related. So we're going to kind of answer them all together. So the first question we had was about the other stories in the Torah that uh, just if we're saying that the story of Bereshis, the story of the creation of the world is there in order to give us what to answer the nations of the world when they accuse us of robbery, is this what all the other stories in the Torah are for? Um, we also asked about the, what about the mitzvahs that precede the blessing of the new month? And then in a more general sense, whether we're talking about stories, whether we're talking about mitzvahs or whatever, what's the point of this whole intermediate stage between the story of creation and the blessing of the new month? So as we've discussed in today's episode, it's not just to give us answers to the nations. No, that's not the reason why all those stories and uh, commandments and everything is there, everything in between is there, but it's actually to show us that the process whereby we get to this end goal of ultimately, whether we're talking about getting to the land of Israel or getting to Torah or getting to the Jewish people, which are all the ultimate purpose of all of creation, we have to go through these intermediate steps. Uh, again, we looked at how Rashi likened this to the sands that needs to be sifted through in order to get to the pearl that a person is seeking. Through this understanding, we also came to appreciate how exile is actually not just like some annoying, like th- unwanted thing, but it's actually part and uh, part and parcel of the process of the ultimate goal. And it's a necessary stage that we need to pass through in order to arrive at the ultimate redemption. And on a deeper level, in line with this, in line with the deeper appreciation of the purpose of exile, uh, we can also come to appreciate what the purpose of the order of the Torah is and why the Torah was arranged in such a way that first we talk about this whole period of non-Jewish nations leading up to the creation of the the, the birth of the, the Jews as a nation and our exile in Egypt and all of these things, why all of this had to come before the retelling of us receiving the Torah. And we spoke about that this is because we actually, it has to be in that order because in order to get to our godly soul, which is like the microcosm of this greater macrocosmic uh, retelling that we're going through in the Torah, uh, we actually have to get through that, go through the animal soul. So we have to go through this, the refine and sift through the animal soul, both on a personal level and also on a much more global level. So today we really focused more on the global level, on the on how these um, stories and how this process, this exile fits into the stories of the Torah in order to get to that ultimate stage of, um, of, of coming to the land of Israel as a Jewish nation and God taking us out of Egypt to get there. Uh, in the next episode, we're actually going to talk about this on a more microcosmic level and how this relates to us as individuals um, in terms of our process of our own refinement in the world through our own Torah study and through our own process of learning Torah and what and how that works. So it's going to be really interesting. We're going to get into 
a very famous teaching, which you may have heard or maybe not about, uh, it's spoken about in the Gemara, about how before we're born, we're actually taught the entire Torah inside of our mother's womb. So, uh, and then after we're born, we forget that Torah and we're going to talk about what is this all about? Why do we learn the Torah initially? If we're just going to forget it later, why do we have to forget it? Why do we, uh, why are we just relearning things that we know already? What's that all about? So stay tuned for all of that and I will speak to you then. Thanks for listening to the It Is Top podcast, hosted by Sarit Switzer. This podcast is dedicated in loving memory of my maternal grandfather, Avraham Yitzchak ben Binyamin Cohen of Blessed Memory. Music by Shoshana. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the show, please share it with others and subscribe on YouTube, Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And make sure to leave us a five-star review. To find out more about the It Is Top project, including more information on my soon-to-be-published book, please visit our website, itistaught.com. To catch the latest from me, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Looking forward to speaking with you tomorrow, and until then, have a great day.